Welcome to Show Me South County, a podcast that shares the stories behind businesses, people, and neighborhoods that make living in South St. Louis County awesome. I'm your host, Kevin Dewey. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into today's episode. All right, well, I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Missouri's Teacher of the Year, Darion Cockrell, also known as Mr. DC from Crestwood Elementary School. Man, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Um, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I'm so blessed to share my story a little bit more and for people to get to know me a little bit better. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, my pleasure. So yeah, when I when I saw, I guess it was about a week, maybe a week and a half ago, um, just kind of had, you know, the news sta- station on in the background when I was, you know, preparing dinner and stuff and kind of, you know, perked up when I heard like Missouri Teacher of the Year from Lindbergh. I was like, oh, that's awesome. It's like, you know, a guy from our, our local area. Um, I was uh-huh. like, you know, my first thought was I got to have him on the podcast. And then, like, I learned more about your story, and it was like, oh, man. I mean, I definitely have to have him on the podcast. I mean, it's you're just an inspiration, man, to so many people. And so I would just kind of love if you would just, you know, take us back, man. Take us back, share your story, like, where you came from, kind of what you, what kind of things you went through, and, like, you know, how you became the person and, you know, the, you know, I guess just the person that you are today and the life you have today. Uh, born and raised in the city of St. Louis uh, when I grew up. Uh, my mom has six kids. I was the second oldest. Uh, it was myself, my oldest brother. His name was Lynn. Uh, the next brother down, his name was Alan. I had another brother named Patrick, and I had two sisters. Uh, from the start, it was a bad situation because, you know, in the 80s, crack hit the city, just hit America bad, and it definitely had a hold on my family. So my mom, unfortunately, was dealing with addiction with that, and uh, that left my grandmother to raise us. Uh, what ended up happening was, my brother under me, Alan, he actually been adop- ended up being adopted by my aunt who lives in Arkansas. So he left right away when he was a young boy and he moved to Arkansas. Uh, my grandmother took in uh, early, you know, myself, my oldest brother, and then uh, my next brother down, Patrick, at the time. Uh, my other two sisters weren't in the picture yet. But uh, my grandmother tried her best to raise us the best that she could. And uh, it got to the point where my grandmother, not only was she trying to raise us, but she was trying to, you know, make sure that my mother was, you know, fighting and dealing with her addiction. And she had to deal with, you know, my mom coming in and out of our lives and then stealing stuff from us because of the addiction and just different things like that. And it got to the point where the state got involved. And what they did was they took myself and my siblings from my grandmother uh, when I was like, I'm going to say five or six-ish, six-ish. And now they put us into foster care. So we were living with a few different families, white families, black families, you know, for about a year or so. And then my grandmother got into a better situation. She moved to a different part of the city and then she found us and she brought us back together. Now my mother ended up having two more kids. So my grandmother had myself, uh, my brother Lamb, my brother Patrick, and then my two sisters as well. Uh, My youngest sister actually ended up going to live with her father's side of the family. She's doing pretty well. I'm very proud of her. but like I said, my grandmother was still trying her best to raise us. And it was just really unfortunate because in the in uh, neighborhood where we lived in, there just wasn't a lot of resources for my grandmother. And then and for a lot of the kids that lived in the neighborhood as well and, and a lot of the other adults. Like my grandmother, she had to walk because we didn't have a car at the time. So she had to walk, I would say, from where we live, which at the time was on Auburn, which is in the city of St. Louis, um, parallel to King's Highway, she had to walk from where our neighborhood, and I know you're pretty familiar with like Euclid and Central West End. Yeah. yeah. She walks to Central West End. It was probably about 
and you gotta think she's an older woman. So it probably it was probably like six or seven miles for her to walk to work wow. every day. And she worked at a cleaner, so she wasn't even making a lot of money. But she sure. made just enough to kind of keep a roof over our heads and give us a little food here and there. And even, you know, the thing that sucked is when we were not in school and when she was working, we still had to figure out life. So while she was trying to provide for us, we were just trying to, you know, live life in conditions that would serve to us. And at the time, the stuff that was going on in our neighborhood for me, because that was all that I knew, unfortunately, that was normal. So people selling drugs, you know, the gangs and the fights and the po police brutality and things like that. To me, that was just normal. That was normal. That's how I lived every day. You know, me joining the game young, everyone else was doing it. So like I said, that was normal for me. Um, it wasn't until I, I really got into middle school when I started to realize that a lot of the stuff that was going on in my neighborhood is not really that normal. And even though that is going on in my environment, I probably should kind of start disassociating myself with it. But because it was just so prevalent, and it was just so much stuff going on. You can go to school and you know that education is important. We need this in our lives to be more successful. But it's hard to do that when you know you got to go back to a house where you might not have food, you might not have running water, you might not have lights. So at the end of the day, you have to survive. You have to figure out what you can do to provide for your family, what you can do to make sure that you're in a safe environment. Because like I said, there was gang violence, there were people coming in with guns left and right. And you, you had to be around people or, or surround yourself with people who's gonna protect you or know that people that you can trust that if you were gonna be in a situation where you had to defend your life, that they had your back. Just imagine being in, I wanna say I was in sixth or seventh grade and we were gonna to go to the mall. Now back in that day, like I'm an old man or something. Back in that day, <laughs> but I don't know if you remember the St. Louis Center downtown. Oh, yeah. There was a huge mall downtown. Yeah. And we were going to catch the bus from the city downtown. Now, knowing that, you know, a lot of time, a lot of kids and teenagers and stuff hung out down there. So we always brought protection. At that time, we only had knives. So we walked from our neighborhood to Central West End so we could catch the bus. And actually, the bus is right there behind or next to uh, Bourne's Hospital. And uh, so we're at the bus stop waiting to get on the bus with our gang colors on and stuff like that. And we seen a guy who uh, had just got onto a different bus going to a different place, but he stopped the bus and he got off. And we seen him coming off and we knew like the older guys like, hey, DC, you got your knife. So if something goes down, you're gonna have to use this. So just imagine being a sixth or seventh grade and you know that you're not making a decision on am I going to do my homework or not, you know, if I'm going to eat healthy or not, or, you know, do my chores, your decision is, am I going to kill this person or not? Am right. I going to defend my life? Am I not going to allow them to kill me? Like you have a knife in your hand, you got to make a decision like that at that age. That's not normal. That's not okay. But that was the life that I lived and I had to do what I had to do to survive. Now, unfortunately for my grandmother and like I said, she did everything that she could possibly to make sure that we had the best life that she could provide. But like I said, she didn't have those resources. She didn't have a lot of opportunities. And even if she did have opportunities, she knew that those opportunities would take her away from us. And she didn't want to do that to us. She didn't want us to be separated again. Unfortunately, because I was building a better relationship with my teachers, that's actually, a, that's fortunate. That's a good thing. But unfortunately for me, when I was going back to my counselors and to my teachers, explaining to them the different things that was going on in my household, which wasn't okay. I didn't know it at the time, but they were going back telling my uh, caseworker, my social worker, all of this stuff that was going on. So it got to a point to one day, 
as you know from my story, I said it, I came to school and I never went back home. My counselor was there, you know, a few of my teachers were there, my social worker was there, and she had a bag of my clothes. And she said, Darian, you're not going back home because of the stuff that's going on. So um, what they tried to do was put me into like this military boot camp type place. And that's where they ended up taking my older brother. They didn't take my younger brother because he was too young at the time, even though the situation we were living in wasn't the greatest. I think that they thought that my grandmother only having one kid with her at the time or two. So my little brother and then my sister, that they would be more manageable for her. So they took the oldest, which was myself and my brother. They took my brother and they actually ended up putting him in a uh, boot camp military place. But my counselor, my principal and some teachers, they went to court on my behalf and they wouldn't allow the state to take me and put me there because they knew that I had a good structure in place. I just needed to be out of the environment into a place where I can focus on just being a kid, going to school and doing things like that. So what they did was they went to a court and they got like a, um, I don't even know what the type of custody it is, but just the ability where they could put me into this boy's home, which was less than a mile from where I went to school. And my counselor, had the guardianship where she can pick me up every day from school or pick me up every day from the boys' home, drive me to school, and then from the uh, school back to the boys' home. So we were doing that for a few months. Then the summer came, and then I got into playing football in eighth grade or the summer before eighth grade, and that's when I met my football coach. And he had a son as well, and he had a daughter, and um, their two kids were actually adopted because, unfortunately, they couldn't have kids. So they had two kids that they adopted from Brazil. So they're pretty familiar with the process as far as like adoption, foster, and things like that. Just kids leaving the place where they can be more successful and they can have a good family that's going to allow them to do the things that they need to do in life. And uh, my football coach told me that there was a lot of times where the football team would do outings and things like that. And I wasn't allowed to go because I was in a boys' home. And it was a situation where like my counselor couldn't take me because she had a life as well. Or there are times where after practice, I was the last kid there because the boys home were late picking me up. So there's just a lot of things where I was spending more time with my uh, coach and he felt bad for my situation. So as we went through the football season, I didn't know, but him and his wife went to court to get like a partial guardianship where I can do outings with the football team as long as they were with me, or they can come pick me up and I can do like day trips, you know, weekend trips at their house. And then it led to me, you know, spending the night, spending nights at their house. And it got to the point where I wasn't even going over there for his son anymore. I just loved the family environment. Like, to me, he was no longer my football coach. He was like a father to me, and his wife was like a mom to me. So it got to the point where I was just hanging out with them. I wasn't even hanging out with, with my brother Matt anymore, or my sister Lauren. I just enjoyed just having that family, that family that I, that I never had. Right. And one day, I was, um, I was at their house. We were sitting in the room just hanging out like we normally do. And they were like, here I am do you want to live with us? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I want to live with you guys. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't want to go back to that boy's home because at the time I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that, you know, I was taking, everyone knew my story. They knew I was taken away from my family. They didn't know the details. But they knew I was taken away from my family. I was living in a boy's home. You know, I didn't have like a real family. So I was really open to them wanting to bring me in as their son and me living with them. And I knew because they were pretty, you know, financially stable family and they had a good family bond that I was going into a really good situation. So I said, absolutely, yes. Now the thing is, a lot of times when I'm telling this story and when, I'm, when people write about this and they reference, they say my adopted parents. 
And I always say that too, but really they never adopted me. They were just my foster parents. And the only reason that we didn't go through with the adoption process is because there was a lot of logistics. And we knew that if I would have stayed with the state where they still kind of had a foot in the door, it would provide me more opportunities and more, uh, more resources because I still had the help from the state. So we were thinking about college and things like that after high school. I wasn't even in high school yet, but my parents yeah. had the mindset that we stayed with the state and we didn't foster and we didn't adopt him. We say in the foster care, it would provide like Pell Grants. It would provide scholarships and just different things from the state that I wouldn't have got if I would have just, you know, if they would have adopted me. Sure. So they, they never adopted me, but that was my mother. That was my father. They're my foster parents. And to me, it was an adoption because other than paperwork, everything else was just, I was living with them. That was my family. It was normal. So, you know, I got my license through them, everything. Yeah. Um, as I live with them, like I had the best life ever. Like my mom, she, I don't know if you're familiar with Forest Lake Country Club, but she was one of the owners at the country club at Forest Lake. My daddy, my dad was an amazing auditor. Um, they, you know, got me into more sports and just doing things that I would have never thought of. I remember at the end of eighth grade, at the time I was so mad because it was right before freshman year. One of the friend, one of my friends was having a huge party and everyone was going and we just had to go to Disney World. <laughs> We actually went to Disney World. That was my first time, like, leaving the state. And it was amazing because I went to Florida. My first time going to a beach and just doing all this stuff that I would have never done had I still been in the city. But it's just, you know, being in a different environment just completely changed my mindset because I knew that there was more out there in life. There was more that I could do. There was more that I could, more stuff accessible to me that allowed me to do the stuff that I knew I wanted to do in life. But even with that said, I was still a dumb teenager. I still did dumb things that kids do. And, you know, but I, it wasn't like a major mistake. Like I wasn't killing people. I wouldn't put myself in a position where I can get killed. I wasn't selling drugs or doing anything like that anymore. Just dumb kid stuff. Right. Um, I would say the biggest thing, a biggest setback that I had living with them was my senior year in high school. Uh, the little brother that I mentioned earlier who ended up living with my aunt in Arkansas, he came back home. And I was really excited about that because even though I knew about him, we didn't, we weren't close. I didn't really know much because he lived in Arkansas. I lived in St. Louis. So when he came back to live in St. Louis, he lived with my grandmother in the city. And uh, I started bringing him and my other siblings out to the county with me to hang out. We were doing some work for my dad so they can get some money in their pocket. They're just kind of building that brotherhood that I never had with him. And uh, I'll never forget. Uh, it was actually the day, two days before uh, our state playoff game against Western Groves, I was at Parkway Central, and I got a call from my cousin, and my little brother, 16, was murdered. Coming home oh, from his wow. friend's house, or I don't know if it was a friend or girlfriend's house, and he was literally two houses down from my grandmother's house. He almost made it to that destination, but he was coming, someone pulled up, and they didn't target him. They were targeting anyone who was on that street that night. So they, they shot some other people. They ended up killing my brother. Um, and I mean, that just, it, to this day, it still crushes me. But at the time, like my soul literally left my body. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. Luckily, I had a really amazing support system. You know, my uh, foster parents helped me get through it. My football coach, oh my God, he helped me get through so much. My principals, my teammates, I had so much support. And I think without that support, I probably went out and tried to do some dumb stuff, but luckily, I was able to think before I reacted. I had good people saying good things to me, making me make the right choices. But, you know, that really, like, 
changed a lot of stuff that was just going on in my mind mentally and just I knew I'm like dude I gotta get my family out of here and even to this day I still struggle with that because as I'm out here teacher of the year and I'm getting all this publicity and going viral and all that stuff which doesn't matter to me at the end of the day all I care about all I care about my students and just my family here and my family at home but it's just I still battle with why did God choose me to be successful when I have siblings and other family members who are still in the same situation they are, were in 16 years ago when I left that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I hope that I'm doing what God's plan was. I hope that I'm giving them inspiration. I'm showing them that there's other stuff in life that you can do to be successful. You don't have to do the stuff that you're doing, but it just sucks that I cannot share this glory with them in a situation or an environment that they are currently still in. Like, I battle with that every day, but it's just one of those things that I have to realize that, you know, people have their own choices. And, you know, when I was granted those choices, I made the right ones. And I'm not saying they're making the wrong ones, but I think the situation they're in, it's just harder for them, I think, mentally to leave that than it was for me. Because yeah. they're still living in it every day, and I'm no longer in that, living in that situation anymore. Right, right. I mean, do, do you think that they lacked somebody like your counselor to speak to speak life into them and just to, to help them kind of see a bigger perspective and a bigger future for themselves or like what do you think maybe is the missing piece for them i think there was some of it because you know even though so my brother my older brother and i we went to the same elementary school and middle school up through uh i was in seventh grade and he was in eighth grade and unfortunately for him he was removed from the school because he was uh supposedly selling weed and he got caught and he got kicked out now, when he got kicked out, he no longer had those resources and that structure from those teachers. Yeah. Me, I still had that. Them seeing that, they were like, we don't want to, we don't want you making those same choices that he made. So I think unfortunately for him, you know, he was put in a situation where he had to go back to a city school or put into a different school, uh, alternative school where all the kids unfortunately were doing the same dumb stuff, just at a different school. And I think because my teachers seen that and they didn't want me going down that path, they gave me more help because they didn't want me to do that. And my youngest brother, he never went to like a, a school out here in the suburbs or anything like that. He always went to city schools. And unfortunately, those city schools didn't provide him with the type of education that I wish that the schools out here provided me with. And I think when you get in a situation like that, like when I was going to city schools, the culture wasn't like the cultures out here. It was we're here because we have a job to do and that's it. It wasn't let's build relationship with these kids. Let's provide something they might not have. Let's help them get through the situations that they're going through. Let's get to know them better as a person. So then that way we can incorporate things that's gonna allow them to be more successful in my class. That wasn't the case where I went to school early in my education and where my brother was going, going to school. And I think we get in a situation like that, the students feel that and they don't even wanna be there. But I wanna listen and learn or try to be around somebody who I know don't even care about. And that's why I teach the way that I do, where I always teach, I lead with like love and laughter, laughter, because I know if these kids know that I support them, if they really know that I care about them, and I'm always making things fun and energetic and exciting for them, they're going to buy into whatever I'm doing in my class, and I'm going to get that buy-in from their family as well. And as long as we're all in this together, it's going to be easier for us to work together to make sure that that child is successful. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's so cool. So, when you when you received the honor, I mean, shoot, just just being the the teacher of the year at Limburg, which is a huge district, that's a huge honor in in itself, you know, um, with with amazing teachers in that in that district. Um, but like when you got the word that you were Missouri Teacher of the Year, 
Like what, what kind of, you know, emotions and thoughts went through your head? I, so even leading up to that, when I, when I made it to the regional and our superintendent, Dr. Lake, who is amazing, by the way, he kept telling me, DC, you got this, you won this, you got this. I'm like, Dr. Lake, you're crazy. There's no way, because even when we were at the regional banquet and I was surrounded by all those other educators hearing their stories and stuff that they're doing with their kids and just how long they've been teaching even. I'm like, I don't deserve it. There's no way they're, they are amazing. So I never went in thinking like I was going to win. Even to this day, I, I still don't know how. But when I found out that I won Teacher of the Year for the state, I was scared because I knew it's a huge responsibility. I was just dumbfounded. I, I could not believe it. I still cannot believe it. Because as I said, we have some amazing educators here. But I think just the way that I connect with my students, the, the community that I build with the staff, the students, their parents, and just my attitude and just my past and not elect, letting that affect how I, you know, do my job. I think just the whole story and everything together really touched a lot of people at the state level. And I think because of that, they thought that, man, this guy is the best advocate for us, our kids, our students, our state. And I think he's going to do a good job of representing us and showing people that educators are extremely important. And without those educators that are extremely important, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, man. That's so cool. So can you tell us a little bit about CrestFit and the, the program that you put in place there at uh, your school? CrestFit, first of all, is my baby, man. It's crazy because even before I came up with the name CrestFit, I knew that when I became a PE teacher, that I wanted to create something that was going to be like the culture, the normal for everyone when they associated with me. And coming into Crestwood and I, having the ability to get this job, what I did was I took the, the word CrossFit and Crestwood and just merged them together to, to create Crestfit. And what Crestfit originally was was just PE. PE at Crestwood, that's what Crestfit was. I had the kids working out. I had them just buying into like really understanding their body, the foods that they put in their mouths, and just the activity, everything that they do. Then that turned into, okay, I got the kids. Now let me get the teachers on board. So I start working out teachers after school. So I start doing the workouts that I do with my kids with my uh, teachers as well. So then those teachers and those kids can have those conversations like, oh, are you working out with Mr. DC? Does he have you doing this? Yeah, I'm doing this too. If I can do it, you can do it. So they're talking about it. They're all engaged. They're all buying in. And then it went from that to me then start bringing parents in to work out with me. So I had, and I wanted to create a space where not only I can work out parents and teachers, but we can all work out together and we can get to know each other better. Because I think when you have a better relationship with someone, it's easy for you to go to them, go to them about anything. So if you're having a situation with my child, it's easier for us to talk about that because we already have that foundation together. You know better, you know me as a person, I know you as a person in school and outside of school. And now that we have this this better communication, this foundation, we can work together to make sure that this kid is successful. And it went from that to me starting open gyms for dads so they can be, have a better understanding of who I am as a person and why we often work out and just work together to see what we can do at this school for Crestwood students to make it a better place for them. And that's when I then created that um, WILP workout with the song WILP Nene. And what I did was I just took a song that all the kids loved and I just incorporated 
exercises where the dance moves were and it just kind of took off and now to this day when i still see those kids who are now off in the high school they're like mr dc you remember that crash fit video that's awesome <laughs> or everyone just associates just working out and just doing you know you know doing uh making healthy habits and stuff you know outside of school as well so i love that when kids see me they know that okay I know Mr. DC is going to talk to me about, you know, making healthy choices and making healthy habits. So I want to make sure that I hold myself accountable for that. So That's awesome, man. I love it. I mean, yeah, you've turned PE class into a class to, and you transformed it into a lifestyle for the kids. Yes, yeah, that's, that's, that's what amazing. it's all about. Because without those healthy habits, it doesn't really matter how smart you are or what you want to do with your life. If your body can't get you there, then what's the point? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, even what's so cool is that you're, you're connecting even with kids who maybe like, you know, sports isn't their thing, but like, you know, a healthy lifestyle and like living healthy habits, that's for, that's for everybody, regardless if you're yes. a sports fan or into sports or playing sports or whatever, you know, so absolutely. It's, it's a way for you to connect with every student, regardless of their interest in sports. So that's, that's yep. awesome. Uh -huh. So cool, man. I mean, just, geez, I mean, you, you can, it's, it's no wonder why you've, you know, received the honor that you've received and um, just the accolades, man. So, you know, tip of the cap to you. Thanks so much for everything it. you do. Um, you know, do you, do you have anything, you know, I know you said you gotta, you gotta run, gotta uh, get to back to your next class. So do you have anything to, to kind of say as we sign off? Um, I just want to say, man, that, you know, I think during this pandemic, and I said this before, uh, I think people really have a better understanding of the importance of us teachers and what we mean in the lives of our students and those families. And I know right now is a crazy time. It's a tough time, but just don't forget that we are all in this together. We're all trying to get through this the best way that we can. And at the end of the day, our number one priority are still our families. And even though that, you know, sometimes we may have to pivot to going virtual, whatever it may be, we are gonna to continue to be those support systems. So don't think that we've given up on you. Don't think that because we're not here physically, uh, we're not here because we are. So please, if these families need to talk to us, call us, email us, text us, whatever we can do to help our families, continue to be successful. That is why we're here. We love them and we're going to get through this together. Love it, DC. Thanks, thanks so, so much, man. And congratulations again. And just thank you for being an awesome part of South County. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be on your show and uh, I hope that this really inspires some people to be great. I'm sure it will. Thanks, man. Take care. Right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Show Me South County. If you're digging the show, please share it on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. 